Well, hey there, everyone. My name is Daniel, and I'm the online campus pastor here at OAG. I am excited for today's podcast because this is from our series entitled Before You Knew Me. This will be stories and testimonies shared from folks just like you and our own church family. So sit back and relax and be inspired by what God has done and is still doing in the lives of His children. Heavenly Father, this is as much, this is actually your testimony. It's, I just got to play a part in it. But Father, I ask you to let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. I ask you to use this testimony for your honor and for your glory because you're responsible for all the good that has ever happened to me. I thank you for this opportunity. I ask you to bless this church. I ask you to bless the people who are listening online. I ask you to engage our hearts and engage our minds, Father, so that we can learn about you and how faithful and how good you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. So I am a product of God's miracle work and power. I know I don't look it. And for those of you who have seen me do chapel at walk, you know I don't act like it either. But I am. In 1959, I was born after my mother had had many miscarriages. Back then, they called them blue babies. And I was born seven weeks premature, three pounds, seven ounces. And my, my family wanted to know where they were going to bury me. Ta-da! I made it! I was in the hospital for 28 days in an incubator. And back, it was a Catholic hospital, and they gave us pure oxygen, which they later found out was not a good thing to do because it caused blindness. But I'm not blind. I was in the hospital for 28 days, and they told my mother, you need to take her and take her now before the nun gets here. And they had take, take, they have taken two strands of my hair and taped them together and made a bow out of the scotch tape because I was bald as a cue ball. But I firmly believed that that nun prayed over me, and I believe that's one of the reasons that I'm alive today, and God has done some of the things that he has done in my life because Somebody believed God, and somebody prayed. So, I come from a dysfunctional family. For those of you who are raised in a Christian family, you need to thank God. You don't understand the gift that God has given you. I ask you to please, please enjoy the benefits of being raised in a Christian home. Now, that doesn't mean it's without trouble, but it does mean you were given a gift. At the age of four or five, my great aunt Annie Mae took me to a vacation Bible school. And there I learned about Jesus. And I learned the, the poem, How Now, Brown Cow. I thought that was the neatest thing in the world. But I, I learned about this guy, and I remember even to today that I asked Jesus into my heart and into my life. And since that time, I've always believed God hears and answers prayer. I, I talked to God a lot as a kid. 
I had a lot of reason to talk to God a lot as a kid. I was raised a Jehovah's Witness, but to be honest, I learned a lot about their beliefs because they are very good at teaching what they believe and expecting you to conform and to start teaching it yourself. But I just have to tell you, none of it stuck. I, I couldn't tell you today, but maybe one or two things that they believe. I, my parents divorced when, we moved, when I was 10 after we moved to Orlando. This was triggered by an all-out knockout fight where the two of them had their hands around each other's throats as they laid on the floor and looked at this nine-and-a-half-year-old young lady and told, each one of them told me to go call the police on the other one. Now, you have to understand, we weren't rich enough to have a phone, so I had to run across the street to Mrs. Bragg's house where I could use the phone to call the operator and ask them to send out the police. Fortunately, we lived across the street from my grandparents, so they were kind of there to take it all up. And we lived with my grandparents for several years. It was a shotgun house. Now, some of you know what I just said. Some of you have no clue what a shotgun house is, and no, it's not a place where you shoot guns. It is a house where you have a living room, you have a kitchen, you have one bedroom, a bathroom and another bedroom. And the floors were made of plywood. And we lived there for several years. There was a kerosene heater and there was no hot water. We heated the water on the stove to take a bath and for washing dishes. And that stayed that way even through my college years. But my grandfather had incredible farming skills and he didn't really care whether you were a girl or a boy, you were a hand to help. And so I learned a lot from my grandfather. Um, he could make, he could plant things and they would grow. Now I have a black thumb. I am a cereal plant killer. When, when I go to Walmart, and I love to go to Walmart and Lowe's and Home Depot and plant nurseries, I love to go and I love to look at the plants and I love to buy plants. And in my family, the question is, did you touch them? Because if that you touch them, they're dead already. We might as well just go bury them in the backyard. Now, my husband and my son, they have green thumbs, but I did not inherit that. But my grandfather, oh, he just grew the best green beans and peas and okra, sugar cane, corn, butter beans, and my favorite were peanuts. And I, I learned how to shell peas, and I learned how to shell butter beans. Do you ever shell any butter beans, Pastor? Just a few. And, and, there were, and there were times in my life where we couldn't take a bath because the tomatoes were in the bathtub and we were canning them. And we watched the gospel singing Jubilee on Sunday morning. And if my uncle and my grandfather got drunk, we would sing hymns on the front porch at night. And I got to sing alto with my grandmother. And for all the fights, and I do mean fist fights, life was still pretty good. Never went hungry. My mother worked as a, as a waitress, and she was a good waitress. And she worked at Ronnie's Restaurant in Orlando, which was a delicatessen that had the best cheesecake I have ever eaten in my life. It was wonderful. And she worked hard and, and, and brought her tips home, and I learned to count money 
by counting her tips. It may be why, Pastor, I love to count change for BGMC because it brings back good memories. And she saved enough to put down a down payment for a three-bedroom and one, well, one bath house. So we moved to this development. It's about five miles from my grandparents off Goldenrod Road and next door, bum, 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 to a four-square spirit-filled minister and their ministers and their five kids. I went to church with them often. And through them and the life they led for Jesus, I got to see firsthand what a normal life was like. Not long after this, my mother married my stepfather. Now, by this time, I was the fixer in the family. Now, for those of you that don't know what a fixer is, it means when the family gets in trouble, the fixer comes in and they take care of everything. That's a heavy responsibility for a 12-year-old, but I did the best I could. But somebody had to be the adult in the family, and so I was it. And when my mother told me that after dating this guy for a while, who I did not like, by the way, and she said, what do you think about me marrying him? And... It's a problem I am still dealing with today is how to phrase things gracefully sometimes. So I looked at my mother and I said, why would you trade one drunk for another? Needless to say, I was not on the happy list for a while because that's what they did. My mother had pretty much been sober all through my life. Uh, my father was more of the alcoholic. But when she married my stepfather, they began to drink and drink heavily. But this wonderful, spirit-filled couple that lived next door lived their life for Jesus. And they invited me to church. I went to more Assembly of God churches in Orlando than most people even knew existed at the time. Because they filled in for ministers or or they would step in and they would help. And, and I went to Sunday school and I went to children's church because they took me. Ron and Shirley Cook filled in wherever God led. Now I have to tell you about Shirley Cook because she was a powerhouse. When she got behind the pulpit, you knew it. And she was a dynamo for God. And she taught children's church. And I learned so much from her and from her husband too because he was a coach. And I learned a lot for them, and both of them were great preachers. He taught me how to play ping pong. He also taught me about football and how to catch a ball. Because in our neighborhood, there wasn't a youth center or anything, so that's what we did. We played tackle football on the street. And it was fun. And I learned that I kind of had an aptitude for some of that. I... I have to tell you, though, that um, things were just not good at home. And I loved what I learned from Shirley Cook and from her husband. And I appreciate the life that they led for Christ. Now, about, and I would go to church for a while and then I would drop out because things were just not consistent at home. Sometimes I didn't wake up at times, all those kind of things. But then... And this was in Orlando in the 70s. 
um, I met the local drug pusher. And uh, as it turns out, he was a warlock. And I'm not talking about somebody who pretends to be that. I mean, he was a full-on warlock. And he said, hey, I want to talk to you. Well, I kind of liked the guy that was hanging with him. So I went to his home and um, went inside. And I got to see the God that he worshipped, the altar, everything that was on it. And he began to tell me things, and uh, I didn't like it because there were some things that there was no way for him to know, and I didn't know how he knew. But, Pastor, I have to tell you, God used that because Shirley Cook had put enough of God in me and Bible in me that when I got out of there, and I got out of there pretty quick, I knew this. I knew that God was a good God and the devil is a bad devil. And I knew from what I had learned that I didn't want any part of what he was, what he was given. Now at that time, they were, they were filling in for a pastor who'd had a heart attack in Orlando. And it was a little tiny church called East Orange Assembly of God. And on a good Sunday, they had 16 people in it. Now, that included the piano player and her five kids, okay? And if her husband came. So it was a small church, but at that time, I knew I had a choice to make. And I fully committed to my, my life to Christ at that time. And soon afterwards, an evangelist by the name of David Arnold and his beautiful wife, Linda, took the church over. Now, it was right across the street from the development where I lived, and I became their babysitter. And after about six weeks, Pastor Arnold called me into his office. Now, I have to tell you, I was a little bit scared because anytime I'd ever been to any other offices, it wasn't for a good thing. And I went to his office, and he said, guess what, Renee? You are now the Sunday school teacher for the primary Sunday school class. And this is a quarterly Sunday school book. This is the teacher's edition. And this is what you're going to use. And he proceeded to work with me. And he said, and this is how you're going to do it. On Monday afternoon, you're going to take this out. And you're going to read the whole lesson. And you're going to read the Bible. And you're going to check to make the lessons, make sure the lesson is correct. And you're going to pray over this. And he said, what I need to tell you is, I expect you to lead these kids to Christ. And I expect you to have altar calls. And I expect you to pray for these kids. And you know what? I didn't know any better but to say, okay. Now listen, I was probably not the best choice for a primary Sunday school. And had he known what he would later find out. He probably would not have chosen me, but I was a warm body, and I was really excited to be in church. And here's why. Because church was a safe place for me. I loved being at church. Since there were, we were a small church, there were lots of opportunities for me to work. And I didn't always do it right, but I was a good worker because I showed up. And pastor had no problem using me and saying, this is what you're going to do. And I had a lot of opportunities to learn 
and to grow from godly people. Pastor and Linda were godly examples of what could be, and they took me to my first restaurant. And I have to tell you that my restaurant when I was a kid growing up was Crystal's, and that was when we lived in Georgia. And it was a big deal if we got to go to Crystal's and those ladies came out on their roller skates with a tray with all our food on it and skated over to our car and put it on the little tray there. It was a big deal. Another big deal in my life were green stamps. Anybody else remember green stamps? Green stamps have the yuckiest glue that God ever allowed to be invented on the back of them. But my mother collected green stamps, and I would lick them and put them in the book. And what did I learn about green stamps? That you could take these worthless little green stamps, and you could trade them in for good stuff. And that good stuff, in particular, was a handheld mixer that I have to this day that still works. And I learned about green stamps. So, but my pastor, after I had worked real hard teaching Sunday school, he, and I was going to be babysitting for him that afternoon, he said, I'm going to take you to a restaurant. Where would you like to go? And I said, I, I don't know because I didn't know anything about restaurants. And he took us, took me to Red Lobster, he and his family. And I'm, I'm 14 years old at this point. And uh, they still have on the menu like an admiral's platter. Now, for those of you that don't know, that's a lot of food. So he looked at me and he said, you can have anything on the menu. Well, I am a starving, hungry 14-year-old. I got the admiral's platter, and I ate the whole thing. And his eyes were real big. Now, that doesn't mean I went without food. I didn't. I was just a teenager with a bottomless belly, to, for lack of a better term. Now, my pastor was a Bible teacher, and we had missionettes. Now, now it's called Girls Ministries. But his Bible teaching and missionettes formed a biblical foundation that God was going to use to change my life. Home was good sometimes, because sometimes they would be sober for a while, and sometimes not so much. As time went on, my mother began to drink more and more, and the chaos that ensued was awful. I took my brother to church as often as I could. But I got, it got to the point that I never knew what I was going to find when I came home. And I still was the family fixer. Now for a second, I want to take a moment and share what happened in junior high school for me. In seventh grade, I met a Christian teacher. He was a wonderful Baptist man. And I had speech with him. Now, at this point, there was nobody to help me with homework. There was no one I could really turn to to say, can you help me with this? So I was on my own, and so was my brother. Now, you need to know my brother was the fair-haired child, with good reason, because my mother would look at him, and he would weep for anything he had ever done wrong. I, on the other hand, had a rebellious streak, and it ran the width of my back. 
And so she had some issues with me, and I got more spankings that I deserved than I ever want to tell you about. It was, it was something else. But Mr. Johnson, I will never forget, he said, you have to do a, um, a speech. Now, I know you don't believe this, and those of you that know me really don't believe this, but I was very shy. Very shy. Very shy. Because I had learned that if you're quiet, you can hide in a classroom. And I did my speech on dolphins because I happen to love dolphins. And I did it. And afterwards, he looked at me and he said, you gave a good speech. The only problem you had, your ending was a, was a little bit weak. But you really gave a good speech. And that did something on the inside of me. And we read The Miracle Worker, and I got to play a part in that in the classroom and read. And you could tell when Mr. Johnson was really into a play because he would start snapping his fingers. And I suddenly found out I had a voice. I had a voice. I had a voice that someone would appreciate. I had talent. There, there was something good on the inside of me. So I loved Mr. Johnson, and we, we went on to do many plays. We did uh, Cheaper by the Dozen, and we did it in the round, which means we were right dab, smack dab in the middle of the audience. And it was wonderful, and I developed a love for the theater and all things fun and crazy, which served me real well as a children's pastor. Sixteen years old was filled with great things. Great Christian friends, a sleepover for my birthday. My mother was drunk, so there was very little supervision. Um, we had um, sweet tart fights in the house. We had water fights. There was water everywhere in that house. It probably ran through, through the hallway because we were getting water from the bathroom and throwing at each other with five-gallon buckets. We never did anything by halves. We also rode motorcycles till about 2 o'clock in the morning. Now, in fairness, the guys with the motorcycle were good Christian guys, and they were just giving us rides. It just happened to be 2 o'clock in the morning. And then we went to the Florida Fair. Um, it was wonderful. School was good. Colonial High School, one of my electives was working in the office at the switchboard, and I learned how to operate an old-fashioned cord board. Now, for those of you that are a little or older, you would take a long cord, and you would plug it into the person who called, and then you would take the other cord, and you would plug it into the person that they wanted to talk to. And I only unplugged the superintendent of the school three times. But you can also, all of those things that you saw with Carol Burnett and Lily Tomlin, they really are true. Things can get really crazy. And it was a fun time. And I was appreciated. And they gave me a lot of guidance about proper etiquette and how to greet people and those kind of things. But I was also exposed to some awful things. As the drinking got worse, the things that I was exposed to um, were terrible, awful, and my mother never knew the half of it. 
During that time, I was molested by a family member. And when I told my mom, she called me a liar. And she said I was just trying to break up the family. That kind of did it for me. I loved my mother. I loved my mother till she passed away. I, my husband and I took care of my mother. She was not an easy person to take care of. She was difficult. And that is an understatement. But I had the privilege of leading her to the Lord. God did that for me. God did that for me. And although I loved her, I knew I never could trust her again. Now, I've told you all of this, but I do not want you to feel sorry for me. We all have a story. We all have things that we've done. But I'm here to tell you today that God never wastes anything unless you do not allow him to redeem it. He never wastes anything. He can redeem it. Your life may be like green stamps, but he can redeem it and make it something beautiful and lovely and worthwhile. Church would, was my safe place, and I would have lived there if they would have let me. I was there as much as I possibly could. I got saved. I was baptized in a cold pool in October. Remember it well. Came up with my teeth chattering. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues when I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was. I didn't know I needed the Holy Spirit, and I definitely didn't know what the baptism of the Holy Spirit even was. I knew that there were other people in my church that had it, and they seemed to be pretty much happy all the time. But one night at an altar, I, I, I was there at the altar, and I didn't know what I needed, but I knew I needed God. And a bunch of little old gray-haired ladies got around me, and they prayed me through, and I was gloriously filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and went home, walked home in the dark by myself, all the way home, speaking in tongues. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was good, and I liked it. God introduced me to my first youth pastor. He was cute, single. He could play the guitar and sing. He drove a Chevy Nova and was a brave man because we were not an easy youth group. He drove the blue van that would pick me up from church, and I would beg him to pick me up first and drop me off last. And his name was Charles Hill, and he is a pastor today at Family Life Church in Ocala. I went to my first youth convention with Denny Duran, pastor. Do you remember Denny Duran? He was a famous football quarterback. And I went to my first youth summer youth camp. I participated in a children's evangelistic crusade. I taught Sunday school. I taught children's church. I learned what, what was expected. I learned to give altar calls. And I learned to lead people to Christ because that was part of my discipleship in our church. And it was expected of me. I have 
have to tell you that one young man that I led to Christ one Sunday morning, I couldn't wait to go and tell his parents. They were faithful servers at our church. They were godly people. And I went and told him, I said, your son raised his hand for salvation. And I led him to the Lord. And that following Wednesday night, he went across the street to the convenience store. And on the way back, he was hit and killed by a car. That was one of two children's funerals that I attended in a six-week period. And at that point, I understood in a very dramatic way how important children's ministry is because you never know. Everybody has a dash and an appointed time. But leading that child to the Lord was one of the highlights for me because he went home and he talked to his parents about Jesus. I survived the blue van. Now, you don't understand about the blue van, but the blue van was an old van. We would have condemned this van when we bought it in today's society. But back then, we used everything until the wheels fell off of it. We would go around corners, and this blue van, the doors would come open. And we'd just kind of reach out and pull them back shut and keep singing and keep worshiping the Lord. And we would pack 20, 25 kids in that van. It, it, was, um, it brings back a lot of memories for that. I wouldn't ask my family for money to go to most of these events because most of it went to booze and pills. But like Oxford Assembly of God, the people were generous. And they understand investment in the people that are coming behind us, into the youth and into children. And I also worked around the church and I was told whatever that was. If it was cleaning toilets, then I cleaned toilets. If it was dusting all of the pews, then I dusted all of the pews. And I vacuumed and that was my job for several, for many Saturdays. I went on an Ames trip to Nassau where I got to eat Chinese food for the first time. We went out in the country and we went door to door inviting people and witnessing to them. Missions trips for youth and adults is vital because you will learn how to share your story. And it was a wonderful time. And I remember we went to this area called the jungle. And the jungle is where the, um, in Nassau at the time, you were either poor or you were rich. And there was very little middle class there. And so we went to the jungle where one house might have four or five families in it. And we went to the park and I told the story about um, Zacchaeus and how he would hang on that tree and, and Jesus looked up. And I remember vividly saying, and Jesus knew his name. Even though he was unloved and unliked by other people, Jesus knew his name and said, I'm going to your house tonight. And so... We did an altar call, and a lot of kids came forward. But in the back, away from us, was a basketball court where the kids were playing basketball. They were loud, they were rude, and they didn't use the best language. So we, after that, we were taken on a tour of downtown Nassau, which is a really cool place. And we were always told, you were always together in twos. And whatever you do, do not get lost from the group. 
well. Now, I was with this beautiful young lady. And when I mean beautiful, she was beautiful. And it was me, and we were walking, and we kind of got distracted by some of the, door, the storefronts. And the next thing we were new, we were surrounded, and I do mean surrounded, by about 16 to 20 young men. And they said, hey, are, are you that lady that was talking about that guy? What's that guy's name you were talking about? And I said, oh, Zacchaeus. Now, you have to know my girlfriend was in tears because she thought we were dead on the spot. And I wasn't totally convinced that we weren't going to be dead on the spot. And all I could think of was, God, would you please have our sponsor and the youth pastor turn around and notice that we're gone. So as, as I'm witnessing to them and I'm talking about Jesus and I'm saying, hey, and she's beginning to pray, and she just smiled real pretty at them. Well, they liked that, so that kept them there. And we, we told them about the youth service we were going to have and everything, and I looked up, and here comes the youth pastor and my sponsor. They do not have a happy look on their face. But he happened to be the quarterback for the football team in Nassau, and they had just won the playoffs, so it immediately turned into an opportunity to witness to some young men and have them come to Christ. I got to eat Chinese food for the first time. We did puppets, we sang, we cleaned the church, we drove on the left side of the road. Now, if you have never experienced that, I'm a country girl, I'm, I'm a good driver, I like driving. We got into the car with the youth pastor, we we're coming back, from, we're going to his house because we get to stay with him. And we look up and here comes a car. Now, the car is on the right side of the road. We're on the left side of the road, and we dove into the back seat thinking we were going to die and meet Jesus because of the way they drove cars. And in Nassau, you put your hand on the horn and your foot to the floor, and that's how they drive. It was a lot of fun getting to do that. None of these things that happened to me did I ever dream could be possible. I never thought I would go any place out of the world, out of the country, much less Florida. But I also learned some other things. I learned about deep depression after what happened to me. Is it no wonder? I got migraine headaches from worrying about how to handle situations. About, I, I knew there was no reason to tell anybody because if I told somebody, they weren't going to believe me because my own mother didn't believe me. I stayed home from school because I just didn't want to face it. Now, I still made good grades, and I started a Christmas play at church. It still touched lives. Bartending for my family for the parties that on the weekends and weekdays was common. Cooking for my family, cleaning for the family, nursemaid to various hungover people in my house. To this day, I can't stand mushroom soup because that's usually all they could eat. It was terrible. I made terrible mistakes during that time that cost me a lot. I found out that uh, my so-called friends at school just pitied me and really didn't want me as their friend. I found out I was considered white trash. Shame, terribly crippling shame because of my choices, the horrible things I've experienced. Shame because of my parents' choices 
Life crippling shame and regret is what I felt. Self-loathing. Life crippling inferiority complex. I was absolutely convinced that I was not good enough. That I was too ugly, too damaged to ever get married or have children. And I was going to be stuck in this ridiculous cycle of drama and trauma for the rest of my life. And you know what else I learned? I learned about the power of prayer. I learned that Jesus would never leave me. I learned that the forgiveness of God is a powerful thing. I learned the Bible is true and his promises are dependable. That God is faithful and trustworthy and Jesus changes everything. How? Through the things I went through. Through the things I suffered. School clothes. I remember standing at the, be the bedroom door. It was late at night. And I looked out and I just remembered that reading that passage in Matthew because I was a voracious Bible reader. Because when I got in trouble with my parents, my stepfather did not believe in spanking. Thank you, Jesus. And he would send me to my room. And as I went around the corner, I'd just grab a Bible and here we'd go. And I would spend the time reading. I'm a voracious reader, so that wasn't a punishment for me. But I needed school clothes, and I knew there weren't going to be any school clothes that year. And I remember looking out into the darkness, and I said, God, you said you clothe the lilies of the field. And how much more do you not take care of your people because we're worth more than sparrows? I need school clothes. The next day, I walk out, and dear blessed sister Shirley Cook walked up to me and gave me a Pentecostal handshake. Now, some of you don't know what that is. What that means is they have money in their hand, and they're giving it to you, and they're not making a big deal about it. And she looked at me, and she said, this is for your school clothes. I couldn't believe it. So I went. And having no knowledge of how to buy clothes because we wore whatever my mother put on me or gave me to wear or whatever she bought or whatever my cousins had. We had hand-me-downs and we were grateful for them. I went and bought a pink and purple pantsuit. And boy, didn't I look fine. And I probably wore it two or three times a week. But I learned that God's word is true and his promises are faithful and when you pray god leans down he listens he hears and he answers prayer and another point in this time i went through some significant depression and i went to sister heck sister heck sat on the back row with brother heck and they were prayer warriors and they often tease brother heck that you sit back there with the backsliders and he would say it's better than sitting up front with the hypocrites. And that was one of his favorite sayings. And I remember going to Sister Heck because I knew I was in trouble and I couldn't kick this. It wasn't something I was just get over it. I was in deep trouble and I knew it. And I went, Sister Heck, I just feel I'm so sad all the time. I, I, I don't want to do anything. I, I'm depressed. It's like I'm, I have spiritual suicide or something. Now, I don't think she heard the word spiritual, 
okay? But you know what? That woman was a praying woman of God. And she prayed for me. And she called me that afternoon. And as I was taking a shower, the joy of the Lord began to just flow from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. And I was miraculously delivered from depression. And she called me and she said, I'm worried about you. Are, okay? Are you okay? And I said, yes, ma'am. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And he is just bathed me in his joy. She said, okay. God healed me of the migraines. Why? Because I had a church that believed and acted like Jesus really is the answer. If you will read the word of God, it will change your life. You can have peace in the midst of terrible, unspeakable things. I learned that when Jesus forgives you, you are forgiven, totally forgiven. He will take your shame your, and the condemnation you feel for yourself and what others say about it, you, and he will send it back to hell where it originated. He will set you free. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. No more shame. But you have to believe that his word is true. You have to choose to believe God is who he says he is. And he will do what he says he will do. If his word says it, he will do it. He will do it. But it's your choice to believe. And you have to, to choose to believe when it looks like it's not going to happen. I graduated from high school. My pastor's wife repeatedly told me I was going to Southeastern. And I told her she was crazy that I was going to be a waitress like my mom. Thank God I did not become a waitress. My best tip was when a roach crawled across the counter at Horns, what used to be Horns Restaurant over here on 44, and I swiped him off the counter and said, Fred, you're not supposed to come out when the customers are here. I was left a whole dollar. I told her she was crazy, but guess what? I went to college. You want to know where I went? I went to Southeastern University. I got my BA in elementary ed with a minor in Bible, and I was a children's pastor. Was my life easy? No. My parents moved to Summerfield. I stayed in Orlando, lived with different people at the church so I could finish high school at Colonial. I don't know how that happened to this day, except for God and my pastor and his wife. My youth pastor, Carl Stevens, taught us to read the Bible on Friday nights and how to pray with each other. It was a small group, and we would talk about the Bible, and we would talk about how it changed our lives. And he was a saint, and so were the rest of the people that put up with me as a young person, because I was not easy. But you know what they did? They loved me. They listened to me. They rebuked me. I can't tell you how many times I have been in the pastor's office, and they weren't always good. They prayed me through. They worked with me. They set me up to meet my husband in the sound booth. Now, you don't understand what that means because I had well-meaning friends. And ladies, do you have any, did you have any well-meaning friends who would set you up with guys? 
And after you went on the date, you would think, do they hate me? Now, guys, you may have experienced that too, but, but that's how I felt. And my, youth, my music pastor said, I have this guy I want you to meet. And I thought to myself, not today, buddy. And he said, he's in the sound booth. And I said, listen, Pastor Facemeyer, I love you and your wife and your son, Brent. But if one more person sets me up, I might hurt them. And, and he said, no, you really need to meet this guy. And I said, do you know how many times I have heard that? Can I just tell you how many times I've heard that? He said, no, you really, and I was like, okay. Because you're my boss and I'm working in the music department right now and I'm living at your house, I will meet him, but I will meet him on my own terms. Thank you very much. So I met my beloved husband in the sound booth and he said, at the time I drank a lot of coffee, I weighed about 105 pounds at the time, and I, that was soaking wet. It's because I lived on caffeine and Pepsi. And he said, I hear you like coffee. Would you like to go get some coffee? I said, I'll never turn down coffee. Two months we dated and were engaged, and two months we were married, and we recently um, celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. I have an incredibly talented son who is a miracle because I had three miscarriages. I found out I have an autoimmune disease. And I have to tell you, when I lost those three babies, it was, it was just devastating. And I'm a tough cookie, because I've had to be. But I couldn't do any more. And I remember walking into the Publix and saying, God, why did you allow me to go through that what possible good can, it, can possibly come from the loss of these three children? Do you know how bad it hurt me? And this beautiful young lady from our church walked up to me and she said, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I just had a miscarriage. And it was like God whispered in my heart, he said, because I can use what you experienced and what you have been through for my honor and for my glory. But you can tell her and you can lead her and you can show her that I'm still God. I'm still on the throne and I can take horrible things and I can redeem it and I can use it for my honor and glory. And I wept as I talked to her and I said, let me tell you about the faithfulness of God. Let me tell you about my Jesus. God will use what you've been through if you'll let him to minister life, healing, breakthrough, freedom to those around you if you will let him because he's a life-giving God and he has a plan. You just have to be willing to share your story. Turn it to him and just do it. Step out. God has a plan for your life. He has great and marvelous plan for your life. And he can use whatever you've been through. He can redeem it. He can turn it around because he did it for me. 
I am a living testimony of what God can do through a useless person. I should not be here today. I should not know the people that I know. I should not have places to minister like I've ministered to. But it's because of God. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way where there is no way. He rises up from an empty grave. There ain't no sinner that he can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is what he's done for me, he'll do for you. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Because he's just the same yesterday, today, and will be tomorrow and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.